Welcome back to the Prepared Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Austin. As always, here on the Prepared Mindset, we are a sponsored podcast. So before I jump into what I have to say today, I want to give a nod to both our sponsors. First, EclipseHolsters.com. If you guys are looking for a new holster, mag carrier, uh, wallet, dump tray, concealed carry belt, t-shirt, maybe just some cool stickers, head over to EclipseHolsters.com. Use our code PREPARED15, save you 15% off. They were our, they are our first sponsor and a huge supporter of what we do here, guys. So if you're looking, maybe you just want to check out what they got, head on over to the website. Don't see what you're looking for. Go ahead and shoot them an email. They'll take care of you. All right. So even if it's not there, they can do a lot of custom stuff. They can do a lot of special prints. If you're looking for a gift, you got something particular in mind that you want done. Also, you spend over 60 bucks, you're going to get free shipping and they guarantee right now they'll have it in the mail in three business days or less. That's a custom-made holster. It's not just sitting on a shelf somewhere, right? It is a custom-made-to-order holster, whatever colors, logos, whatever that you have picked out. They'll build it and ship it out to you in under three days' time. Clipsholsters.com, one more time. Our code is prepared15. Save you 15% off. And our second sponsor, mymedic.com. Guys, if you need any kind of first aid supplies, MyMedic is your one-stop shop for whatever you need, okay? Tourniquets, bandages, gauze, burn kit, cut kit. I mean, you name it. <clears throat> maybe you don't know what you need. You just need to have something for a family outing or uh, maybe, you know, youth league uh, sports are getting started up, right? It's the summer, so you're getting soccer and football. And having played football and, and baseball and stuff as a kid growing up, cuts happen, scrapes happen, breaks happen. Maybe you just need a pre-built kit so you have something there. My medics got you covered, man. Their MyFAC is next level. They got it organized so that when, as soon as you open that thing up, the most immediately available stuff is what you're going to be using right on the top. So you start with your aspirin and stuff that's just your everyday in and out. You move down, you got bandages, and as you get deeper in this thing, you're going to get to things like chest seals and they got some scalpels, tweezers. I mean, it's it's amazing the way they have this laid out and put together and uh, in a pre-built package for you that really just takes a lot of the guesswork out of out, out of what you're doing. So if you head over to mymedic.com, they'll hook you up. And if you use our discount code, Mindset20, it's going to save you 20% off your order, which is huge. Also, they're an affiliate partner with us. So if you guys head over to our Facebook page, find the Prepared Mindset Podcast on Facebook in our offers section, there's our affiliate link. So if you go through that, you can still use our discount code. It'll give us a little piece of whatever you spend through MyMedic. Big or small, whatever you guys do through them, it helps support a great company like MyMedic, and it also helps support the Prepared Mindset podcast and everything that we're trying to do going forward in the future. That said, let's get into it this week. There's been some... Um, grumblings in the social media realm uh, of the 2A community. Um, if you're younger, you're into you know all this sort of thing, you probably heard about it. I'm not going to say the dude's name because I really don't want to just like, put him on blast, but basically he is a uh, former uh, military veteran, and we, of course, thank him for his service. You know, We are the day after Memorial Day here, uh, or the week after, rather, um, but basically went out and put out this big uh, tirade talking about uh, those of us that put videos up on social media trying to be like people like Tim Kennedy, trying to be 
like Chris Kyle trying to be like Pat McNamara. I, he he went off. He rattled off a couple names of like maybe it was like Travis Haley or something. Uh, just like guys that are real well known in the in the two A community because they they do have, um, I guess that resume. They've they've done stuff. Uh, they were in the service. They were contractors. They've got. You know, they got like the, the I don't want to say cool guy, but they got the <clears throat> the cool gun guy accolades that um, they they know what's up, right? They've experienced a lot of this stuff firsthand. They've used a lot of these different weapon systems, uh, gear, you know, night vision, whatever. You know what I mean? Like they, they've done it, right? They've been out there and they've they've been a gunfighter. They served our country uh, and were fortunate enough to come back. And now, uh, with many of them, most of them, honestly, it is their their mission, their their life's work now to share what they've learned with people like us, people like me, uh, that, that want to learn, that want to be more prepared, that want to be smarter. Right. So, uh, this gentleman went out and basically put up this gigantic rant on uh, social media calling, um, all of us posers or, or LARPers or something, you know, live action role play LARPing, which I, I I mean, honestly, I, I thought that term was pretty specific to people that play like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, they see them like dressing up like wizards and knights and stuff, and they hang out um, in malls and parks and stuff. Kind of like that movie Step Brothers, what uh, Ken Jeong is doing. Him and his friends are all doing that's that's LARPing. Uh, I digress. Uh, so basically, comparing the modern two uh, A community, I don't even want to say two A crowd because it's much larger than a crowd at this point. Uh, through things like social media, this ideology, this community, these concepts, this knowledge is, is being spread around and it's being shared, right? And it's being um, improved upon and innovated upon because now you have millions and millions of people communicating with each other, connecting with each other, and uh, just growing this this community, you know, this this portion of the american populace and it's not even american i shouldn't say that uh because there's people outside the u.s that 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 love this and and feel this way and think this way and uh, are you know not fortunate enough to have the access to the things that we have here uh for a multitude of reasons mostly political so this rant kind of went viral and um some prominent figures on social media uh, people like T-Rex Arms, people like Grand Thumb, um, Drew Hopkins, who's associated closely with T-Rex Arms, um, a lot of a lot of guys, uh, even some you know obviously smaller influencers and profiles like us are are now addressing this issue, and it's something that that clearly it it hits home to be criticized that way for one because this is what we do right, um, this is like this is the hobby, the passion. This is how many of us like to spend our time. It's what piques our interest. It's what drives our interest. It's what inspires us to want to be better people. And, it, and it's a multitude of ways, right? Gunfighting or, or guns and, and stuff in general, that, that really only speaks to a, a portion of what this is all about, right? Because with that, I mean, standing still and shooting straight is important. Obviously, accuracy is is paramount when we talk about uh, if you're going to carry a gun and things. But these ideologies uh, that are being spread and and passed around uh, are really helping to transform gun ownership and in going into the you know the 2020s here as we're in you know, the year 2021. 
if you look at especially the early 2000s, so here in America, 2004, the Clinton era assault weapons ban, that bill that expired here in the con- in, in the continental US, right? So from then on, we started to see obviously a peak, uh, an increase, a spike, whatever you want to call it, in sales of certain firearms, you know, uh, AR-15 style firearms that were previously uh, banned, it being probably number one on that list, definitely one on that list. The, AR- the AR-15 is America's rifle, just like, you know, you watch movies and stuff, and <laughs> the AK-47 is Russia's rifle. Well, I mean, it's a lot of the world, but, you know, predominantly Russia. The AR-15 platform is America's rifle. And as soon as it became available to the general populace again, they, you know, sales numbers went way up. And they have continued to go way up. So when you look at, for instance, the military and what they were doing at the beginning of the, the global war on terror, GWAT, right? You look at the gear, you look at the training, the tactics, the, the kit, everything that was being used in 2001, 2002, 2003, and then you compare that to what's being used 10, 15, you know, now almost 20 years later, and it's so drastically different. And that's, it's really easy to look at something like that and say, well, that's because it's the military and they are always striving for innovation and they're always getting better. And, you know, of course, over the period of 10 to 20 years, things changed. However, if you start doing some research, if you start getting into the the social media platforms, if you start getting into some of the the details of what's gone on in the 2A community since we've had that ban lifted is it's largely been civilian driven is the development of new gear, the development of better tactics. Uh, you have companies now because it is more common. It's a larger market, right? For people to buy things like sites, handguards, magazines, you know, whatever, just parts for, for rifles and weapons. It has driven commercial companies, right? Corporations to develop better optics, better rifles. Um, you look at the ammo makers, better, better performing ammunition. So, you know, you're listening to this and you're going, well, yeah, I mean, you guys are stupid for doing this and you just want to shoot somebody. You know, the, uh, the, the breakthroughs and developments, scientifically speaking, that have come from, from ammo companies, right? If you're just a hunter, we now have better performing ammo today, you know, uh, bonded ammunition and stuff that's, it's designed to, to penetrate better. It's designed to make a bigger hole. It's designed to recoil less, whatever. There's, there's way better ammunition out there. Even if you're shooting something like 30 out six, it's been around for God knows how long, 70 plus years, obviously. Even if that's what you're, you shoot, you hunt with up to 308 rounds, like 6.5 Creedmoor are now, you know, uh, pretty common and pretty popular because it's a developed round that came out of civilian shooters doing long distance shooting things with precision rifles that were previously looked at. And you go, oh, well, it's, that's only for the military. You don't need to know how to do that. So there have been a lot of developments, right? You look at, uh, you know, just talking about optics, right? Again, if you want to look at just hunting, you want to look at uh, any kind of tactical shooting. There's been a a big, big, big jump in the quality of optic that a civilian can now purchase uh, at at a, it's a, at a much lower price point. And that's that's you look at even hunting, right? The quality glass you can now buy for the 
two to six hundred dollar range. And I'm talking, I mean, you know, Vortex, you can look at Leopold if you're looking at like the bottom line Leopold stuff, um, Burris, Bushnell. Uh, you got a couple other companies coming up now, like Swamp Fox and things. Like it's it's a big market. And because you have more companies trying to get a piece of that huge market, trying to get more market share, right? It has driven these companies to try and constantly improve and get better and get better. Now, with that comes the development of things like your crosshairs, your reticle, right, in the scope. And again, because people are, are shooting with uh, with glass optics, right, um, in the tactical realm, it's a lot of LPVOs, low-powered variable optics, or a scope that can you can crank it up from 1 to 6 magnification or 1 to 8 or... Uh, you know, one to 10, if you're messing with Vortex's new razor, which I've heard, you know, mixed reviews on, but that that's like a common thing now. You know, it's not just people using hunting scopes with a, a three to nine. And if you are, chances are, if you bought a hunting scope in the last five years, is it like a three to nine, you know, standard hunting scope for your bolt action 308 deer rifle? That's a hell of a lot nicer than something you're going to buy 15, 20 years ago. And like I said, largely due to the civilian involvement in in the gun market, because uh, you know it's being it's being driven by our innovations as civilians. Not that the military doesn't do their own stuff, but for the larger part now, things have kind of morphed to where yes, companies are still trying to win those military contracts. Uh, they're still trying to to be the next firearm in the military, right? They're still trying to get that contract for however many red dots or however many scopes for the new sniper rifles or whatever. And companies like Crane go through and do the testing or uh, special operations will go through and put thousands of rounds through these things and test and evaluate and determine what they need, right? But it's not just for that anymore. Companies are now trying to put out products to compete with those at a lower price point with the same kind of performance and reliability. So you're seeing things like a new reticle, right? A new crosshair for your, for your hunting scope. Um, you're seeing these being developed faster uh, and with with greater, uh, I guess, purpose, more data-driven decisions being made when these new kinds of reticles are, are being put together by companies because of, again, civilian shooters and how quickly now we can disperse and, and, and spread the information, not only on, okay, well, that reticle looks cool, or that one's got more lines, but how you use it, right? It used to be that you, to, to really understand a crosshair, obviously you put the center dot on your target and pull the trigger, bang, hit the target. If you're a certain distance away, then you have to make adjustments, you know, high, low for your, your elevation, a little bit for your windage, right? Uh, call that, you know, Kentucky windage. And if you look at those scopes that came out of the 90s, that was largely what you saw was very basic crosshair sights. And I know a lot of people still use those and a lot of people still think that that's the best way to go. And it, it 100% personal preference, right? There's nothing wrong with with just using, a, a I want to say, just a standard reticle. I mean, hell, I, I know people that go deer hunting with iron sights. If it works for you, it works for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is that we now have greater greater options out there for experienced and beginner shooters even that want to learn how to use the radical, want to learn how to use the data that can be extrapolated from that, that scope image and understand if I know what my distance is and I know what my wind speed is, I can now make this shot at, you know, 300, 500 yards because of the reticle I'm using and the data that I can, that can be gathered from looking at that. 
And that wasn't the case before because you used to have to just go to a class. You typically probably have to drive a couple of hours to a class from a specialized instructor who knew how to teach you these things. Um, and before the internet, that, that was it. I mean, you could read a book, but the, the, basically the time it took you to, to spread information when it was in printed word uh, or spoken word, you know, uh, word of mouth, it was way, obviously, right, obviously way, 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 way slower than what we experience today with the internet. And that's, that's really just one, that's one very tame example, right, is, is, is optic quality, your glass quality on things like scopes, right? Now companies are developing them uh, cheaper, faster. They're, they almost all come with a lifetime warranty at this point. And like, I, that, that never would have been a thing 25 years ago, 30 years ago. You never would have got a company to, to sell you a $1,200 or $1,000, $800 scope and give you a lifetime warranty behind that thing. There's just no way. But now, because it's cheaper for them to produce, we understand the science behind it better because there's more being done with it. Same thing now with red dot sites, right? If you look through the military, uh, most of the 90s, right? Uh, Even up through the the beginnings of the global war on terror, M16s or M4s, okay, the the standard issue AR variant uh, that the military uses, were mostly still being issued with iron sights, right? Red dots weren't really coming around too prominently until like the mid nineties. I mean, you had some, but they weren't great. Same thing with like weapon lights. You get to, and, and obviously we had a war, right? The global war on terror started in 2001 with the September 11 attacks. Anytime you have a war, you do tend to see more innovation in the military sector, just because there's actual need for more you know, military activity, greater need for stuff, right? They want a better optic. They want a more accurate optic. They want a more robust uh, light. They want stuff that's going to, you know, they want to buy it once and be able to beat the ever-loving shit out of it and not have to worry about replacing, you know, 5,000 of these uh, these weapon lights. Um, and if you look at uh, some of these, like, web pages online and stuff right now, guys that they go out and they scour, like, eBay and they scour your local gun shops trying to find parts and pieces to to build these clone weapons, right? These rifles that were issued, um, you know, from Vietnam all, all the way up through the early days of uh, GWAT. These lights were like 200 lumens, 250 lumens. Um, pressure pads were like kind of in their infancy at that point. They, they really weren't great. They weren't really reliable. Um, in a lot of instances, you were still seeing lights and stuff attached with uh, like worm clamps, like hose clamps um, onto the handguards of rifles. Mounting systems weren't well developed. And again, some of this was driven um, from the military when things like the quad rail came about and that became standard issue. Uh, the Daniel Defense uh, Risk 2 rail became a, a standard issue on the Mark 18 package, which is um, for people that don't, that don't follow that. That's your 10.5 inch AR variant that was real, real popular in the early 2000s, sometimes with that triangular front sight post, sometimes without, um, then the mounting systems changed, right? Picatinny rail. Now we're even, we're past that. We're at the M-lock capabilities to attach things like lights and lasers and foregrips, bipods, sling attachments, I mean, whatever you need, it, you know, this is all developed over the past 20-ish years. And again, it's all, a lot of it's been driven by civilian development because they want, well, obviously the companies want to make money, but because there's more civilian shooters now than there ever have been. 
So now not only are, are, is the civilian market helping to drive the production, uh, the manufacturing, right, of, of a lot of these uh, products, a lot of these ideas, but now you're also getting a lot more people that came out of the military that are teaching these classes to to teach law enforcement, right? If, if you kind of split the difference here, maybe around 2008, 2010 range, some of these guys getting out, they go into teaching in the private sector. And back in the day, it was basically like, you know, you could buy those DVDs that Magpul put out with Travis Haley and Chris Costa. And that was like, that was like the high speed, cool guy stuff, right? Because Travis Haley was a, a force recon Marine. Chris Costa was on the, uh, I can't remember, some kind of interdiction, uh, waterborne interdiction team or something um in the coast guard so both these guys were like you know high speed low drag types looked really good on these dvds and that was that was their job right they were supposed to make this look appealing and entertaining while also spreading a lot of good information and and both those dudes are still out there doing it right travis haley runs haley strategic uh and they develop a lot of chest rigs now backpacks uh slings they develop, uh, I, I know he worked with uh, Bravo Company Manufacturing and, and developed his own carbine with them that was based behind uh, what he looks for and what he likes to use. And they're both out there continuing to do this stuff, right? And and Haley is one of these guys that's like super into the science behind it. <clears throat> he looks, you know, looking at things like um, the angle of your wrist on an AR grip. There's a couple of videos out of him demonstrating that and why that makes a uh, difference, looking at like a standard hunting rifle versus a modern, I guess, AR platform rifle where that grip is less of a 45 degree angle and it's more of a vertical angle and why it, you know, how it straightens out the pull of your index finger on the trigger and why from a scientific and medical standpoint, it utilizes the the biomechanics of our own human bodies to better perform without you really needing, without just throwing a bunch of training at you and a bunch of money, right? It's here, if you adjust this, it works better with your body as your body is, is naturally built. Same thing with a couple of like hand stops and things like that. It's incredibly well thought out. But that came about, that's the kind of stuff that's come about since he got out of the military. Those are kinds of things that are developed out in the civilian, uh, the private side of all of this. So, I mean, that's, I really do. I have a, I have a huge problem with somebody looking at people that are working to better this community um, and, and being chastised, being bullied uh, just by somebody who's been in the military um, and basically citing that alone as reason enough for why their their opinion needs to be respected and taken as gospel. The fact of the matter is there's, there's a lot of people in the military, and I've heard this from several individuals who have served, you, that just because, and even in law enforcement, right? Just because you were uh, former law enforcement, just because you're, I mean, hell, sometimes even current law enforcement, unfortunately, just because you are former military does not mean that you're God's gift to shooting or uh, tactics or strategy or any of this stuff. And it doesn't by any means mean that you're the only people that should be out there working on this stuff, right? Uh, you know, and, and I get to some extent that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good floating around out there and there's a lot of bad, right? We've talked about this a couple different times on this podcast is the amount of information, like the, just the raw, the gross amount, if you will, of information that is floating uh, around out on the interwebs, right? YouTube, uh, Instagram, there's a couple of privatized channels now or uh, 
I'm sorry, privatized platforms, things like uh, Warrior Poet Society Network are starting to take off. Um, there, there's a plethora of information out there. And there's a lot of really, really good stuff that you can learn. You can teach yourself without having to spend much money or at, in a lot of cases, any money, honestly. You can teach yourself a lot of firearms basics. You can teach yourself a lot of skills basics, a lot of fundamentals basics without having to fire a single round, without having to spend money on ammunition, especially right now because things are so expensive. And, and also to that point, for places that are looking to do that kind of training, uh, while saving money, especially right now on ammunition, right? So law enforcement agencies, hell, even the military, dry fire is something that previously in a, in a lot of circles was laughed at. The, you know, the only way that you're going to get any better at shooting is by shooting. And to an extent, that's correct. But to a lesser extent, that, that is absolutely not true. Uh, one of the books that I read on building uh, the psychology of building a shooter um, by uh, Dustin Solomon talks about how it used to be like 10,000 rounds per student at the FBI Academy. That was the amount of ammunition that, that they allotted for each and every student that went through their academy. And if you think about that, that's 10,000 per student, how that adds up over the course of a year. That's just a lot of ammo. And it, it's, and it does not guarantee that you're going to be a, a proficient shooter uh, by the end of it. Simple repetition is not enough, right? So we're seeing things now like development of, tools and teaching aids and, and products that are dedicated completely to dry fire. Things like Iona, it's a called the dry, the dry fire mag. And it works, they have them now, they work with Glock, uh, like full frame Glocks, uh, full frame M&Ps, and they just released their SIG variant recently as well that works with the P320 line that's really, really popular with the military because it's the military's M17, a lot of law enforcement have picked them up as well. That's a great tool. It simulates a trigger pull. It gives you the audible click and reset, and you can work on a lot of different skill sets with that tool alone. Um, costs like a hundred bucks. I definitely re recommend if you guys are listening to this and you know you own a Glock, uh, a Smith and Wesson M&P, or a, one of the Sig uh, 320s. I highly recommend you look into picking one up, okay? Because ammo is super duper expensive right now, and you can fix a lot with dry fire. Um, there's stuff out there like the, the pressurized barrel that you swap into your gun, uh, that you load it up with like, uh, like a soda stream bottle or, or CO2. And, uh, I think you can fix a laser to the end of it or something, but basically that gives you the simulated recoil of, uh, of shooting, right? The slide blow back and everything that you can use. And I mean, that's a little bit more pricey of a system to step up into, but then you're just refilling that CO2 soda stream, uh, bottle every couple of days and you're good to go, right? That's way cheaper than spending 45 bucks on around, uh, about 50, I want to say 50 rounds of nine millimeter is about 40 bucks, 45 bucks right now. I know you can get it. You can get it less if, but you can't really find it in stock. I think the cheapest I've seen it is like $30 which is a 300% markup from what it was uh, pre-COVID. So uh, again, a huge development. And, and those are just the products, right? Also from, a, from an actual logic and process standpoint, a lot of people are pushing uh, things like dry fire now in the private sector. They, they teach beginning pistol courses and beginning rifle courses through dry fire because their own experience that was, I mean, granted it was, no one's gonna say that it wasn't, in things like the military, they learned those skills and then they refined them on their own and through that practice and repetition have come to determine, and, and a lot of reputable shooters will say this now, 
that dry fire is how you get better. Like, yeah, range time, you work on recoil control and stuff. That's like your practical in-context application. But you can work on a lot of skills, a lot of performance-based skills, repetition-based skills with dry fire. That's all driven by the, you see a lot of, you see a ton of it um, on social media. Guys doing the one reload, one drill, right? Either from a holster or from a compressed ready or something. It's one shot, drop the magazine, pop in the fresh one, and then, you know, release a slide, drop the bolt whatever, and then one round back on target. You can do that dry fire. You can do it live fire. You can work on transitions with reloads. I mean, almost anything that you can do live fire, you can do dry. And that's what you see a lot of, like I was saying, on the social media platforms. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think that that is something that should be criticized or people should be, should be made to feel crappy about doing. Uh, and, and here's why, really. I mean, you can look at it and, you know, I've certainly had people uh, approach me and, and say that, uh, you, why do you need that? Why do you think you need to do this? Don't you think that's a bit excessive? You must want to shoot somebody. Uh, are you gearing up for a while? I mean, I've, I've heard all kinds of different stuff. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of it's been in, in jest uh, and some of it not. You know, I have I have friends that are, are ultra critical of uh, of gun owners. Uh, some of them as gun owners themselves, some of them as law enforcement themselves that just think that the average person um, is not uh, fit for for gun ownership and, and we should be more regulated on who has access to things like AR-15s and rifles. Uh, but it, it makes anybody who is participating in these things online, I don't want to say anybody, like 9.8 out of 10, uh, it makes you a smarter and safer and more competent gun owner. If you're one of these people out here making these videos and and doing these drills, or even if you're out running around on the range shooting, right? Because typically you're either doing it dry and you're working on these motor skills, you're working on things like finger off the trigger outside the trigger guard, right? When you're doing reloads or when you're transitioning, talking about things like, hey, Maybe I'm working on a drill where I go from my rifle and I transition to my pistol or vice versa, whatever. Uh, Working that selector switch to go from safe to fire and back to safe makes you safer, right? A lot of places teach this. Some don't, but a lot of places teach this because while your Glock or whatever striker-fired pistol that, that most people carry today, while those guns by design for safety are drop safe, meaning that you can you know, that thing has a round in the chamber, you can drop it on the ground, it won't go off unless the trigger's pulled to drop that striker. With AR platform rifles, with with most rifles that I'm aware of, and including shotguns too, they are not drop safe. So there's a chance that if you were to swing that, uh, you got the rifle slung, you swing it over to your side and it smacks against something, it could go off. You swing it against your side, it gets caught on a piece of kit or something or a, a tree limb or something, gets stuck in that trigger guard, it could go off. So you should be, unless you can't because there's a, you know, the bolt's locked or something like that, you should be flipping that safety selector to safe when you're transitioning away from that, that weapon system. Same thing with a shotgun, okay? Uh, that's something people practice, right? You're practicing on the range. Usually you're not out there on your own. You're out there with a, a friend or a couple of friends. So you are cognizant of, am I flagging somebody? Where is my, my barrel discipline? What's going on? Uh, and then obviously just accuracy, right? I had a friend that I, I had the opportunity to spend some time with this weekend who mentioned um, stress. 
he works in a in a medical field uh, in a in a medical role, and obviously through COVID, there's been uh, a lot, right? There's been a lot of stuff going on in hospitals and things, and you, and we specifically, I can't remember what we were what we were talking about that got us to this point in the conversation, but talked about the amount of stress that goes into the the human system, uh, you know, your senses and things, uh, in 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 high tension uh, situations, right? Even talking about pulling out a gun and why it's, you know, I think the comment that was made was, you know, having more ammo than less because you're going to be jacked up on adrenaline and you're probably going to miss half the shots. You know, to which I make the point, well, you shouldn't if you practice and train with your firearm, but you are correct in that, you know, that adrenaline, that stress, uh, that, that, that dump of, uh, of chemicals that happens in your brain during those kinds of stressful situations, those traumatic experiences, yeah, that's something that, you know, you need to work on and understand that that's going to happen. So now people are doing that kind of stuff on, on the range and, uh, and now it's being built into, uh, coursework and classrooms and, and things like that. And I mean, there's just, there's so much, uh, of, of what's being discussed and talked about in, uh, in the 2A community right now that's driven by civilian development and, uh, you know, civilian concepts and, and all this stuff. So I, I really, I don't know. It just, it's, it's super upsetting for me, honestly. Um, there's, there's just so much that's out there. People are getting better watching these videos, learning from people that aren't even necessarily instructors, right? Um, you know, I've had people reach out to me. I am definitely not, uh, somebody who should be considered a firearms instructor. Um, I definitely don't try to, uh, promote myself as one or any, I mean, I feel like I have a fair bit of knowledge and if somebody has questions, I'd be more than happy to try and explain myself. I've had people reach out just on a couple of different things and it's cool. And even if it's something where somebody goes, well, no, that's not the right way to do that. Well, maybe not for you and maybe it is for me or maybe it's not for me and that's just what I'm doing. Uh, something I, I discovered uh, early on is if someone asks you a question, A, you may not realize you're doing that wrong. And that person, just by asking you that question, uh, that's actually a pretty like passive aggressive or, or non-aggressive, I should say, way of, uh, of pointing out to somebody, hey, man, do you realize you're doing that? Instead of saying, hey, you do this, you suck, fix it. It's like, hey, man, why are you doing that? Or, hey, do you know that you do this? Um, but it, the second part of that is then it puts you in a, in a situation to have to explain it. And I, and I don't mean that defensively. You don't have to defend why you do something. What I'm saying is that it puts you in a situation to mentally have to verbalize and explain after, you know, probably watching some of this video footage or something, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And sometimes you, if you are trying to teach somebody something and you can't verbalize it or you can't put it into written word, it's a, for me anyways, it's a big alarm that you don't understand it as well as you think you do. If you can't explain it back to somebody else, that's a big um, that's where I set the bar on stuff like that. And I did this a lot when I was teaching music as well. If you can't explain it back to somebody, something that you're doing and demonstrating, then you yourself, uh, don't have the, have the grasp on it that you think you do. But also you can discover when you're trying to explain this and, and put it back into, like I said, written word or, or spoken word or something that, Hey, I, I don't know. You know, I, I thought there was a good reason for it, but the more I think about it and the more I'm, I'm digging through this mentally and going through my process, there isn't a good, uh, a, a good reason that any of this is happening, right? 
So, or that this particular thing is happening, I should say. So in that way, as a community, we inadvertently or indirectly or however you want to put it, come together to, to be better and, and to get better and to be safer and to be more competent. Now, of course, uh, you know, a lot of critics and a lot of people that are, uh, not, not really with it, with this, this whole, uh, vibe here we got going on, you know, will say, well, you don't need that, um, Normal citizens shouldn't be training, uh, shouldn't be working towards this. Uh, well, I mean, on one hand, I see what you're saying, right? Because it does to people who don't think about it or people that jump to that first conclusion or people that are just naturally pre-positioned to hate the Second Amendment because they grew up liberal uh, all their life and they don't know any better. To think that this might be, this is something that's being pushed um, and it's uh, it's dangerous which I mean, yeah, it is, you know, firearms are dangerous. They're not toys. There is inherent risk anytime you handle a firearm, right? And you won't run into too many people that will disagree with that. And if they do, they're kind of off the rocker a little bit. Like we always say here, you know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with owning and carrying a firearm. That said, uh, people are training for situations, for defensive situations. And for the most part, thank God, most of us never actually get called to have to use any of this, right? But it's one of those things that it, I equate it all the time. Like, well, you carry a spare tire in your car, don't you? Like, well, yeah. Why? Well, in case I get a flat. Like, well, okay. Well, if I ever find myself in a life and death situation, I would rather find, I would rather be better prepared, whether that means knowing how to escape and evade, right? How to avoid um, a, a bad situation, how to, uh, deter somebody from violent action, how to try and talk somebody down, uh, how to pick up on those signals and stuff, uh, without, you know, before you can get to a firearm, right. How to observe all those kinds of things, how to act and react and, and, and things accordingly that can help save my life and the life of my family and my loved ones. Um, I'd rather be prepared for that. Or if it did go, you know, kinetic, if it did go to a, a gun fight or, or something, you know what I mean? If it got to that point, then again, you're prepared because you've trained, you know how to shoot your firearm, you're competent with it, you understand that you're responsible every time you pull the trigger, you understand what your ammo does and what it's capable of versus what you're, who you're shooting at, right? And also what's behind what you're shooting at because you are you are accountable for every squeeze of that trigger. So you need to know that if it goes through that drywall, not knowing what's in that next room, you're responsible. Do you take the shot? Make the decision. Thought processing things like that, how to be a well-armed and responsible um, citizen, basically uh, a productive and contributing member of society rather than a detriment. Because honestly, guys, there's, there's no bigger detriment than an armed individual who doesn't know what they're doing, but thinks that they do. That's a huge problem. Um, and I think that that's what some of these people are believing is that um, people like us, right? People that, that, that do this, um, as a hobby, um, as a passion that, that take this greater sense of accountability on ourselves, that we're more of a danger because we don't have quote unquote military level training. And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Cause I, I, I know people who are in the military who can't do what I can do. And that's not necessarily supposed to be a dig, but take it as you will. All right. Um, now they can do things I can't do, right? I wasn't cross-trained in a lot of military stuff and that's fine. But I also don't promote myself to be a specialist in those other fields. 
right? I work in finance by day and I consider myself to be an expert in that because that's how I make my living. Uh, I also spend a lot of time training with firearms and understanding them, learning how to do gunsmithing, things like that. So I am trying to build upon that knowledge base, but we're not, you know what I mean? Like I just, I don't get why there's the, the, the wall that gets put up between civilians and, uh, some of these people that are, you know, like I said, law enforcement, military, that don't agree with uh, with us being able to have this kind of gear, uh, that we shouldn't be studying these kinds of things. We shouldn't be learning how to get out of these situations appropriately. We shouldn't be concerning ourselves with de-escalation and observation tactics and and stuff like that. I don't, I just, I don't get where people get off telling somebody else what they can and can't do, especially here in America, where we hold the first amendment to be incredibly important, right? It's, it's little, it's the first amendment, the right to free speech. Um, so this is huge, right? This community, and it's only getting, it's only getting bigger because of things that are happening in the world around us, right? If we, we just talked about this, uh, last week when we talked about looking back at COVID, um, and, and lessons that were learned as a, uh, society, as a culture, as a country during COVID, right? Is that a lot of people up until then would have looked at, you know, uh, quote unquote, guys like us and said that that's unreasonable. That's ridiculous. You're paranoid. There's, you know, you, you don't need that. You're wasting money. You're wasting time. I mean, whatever the argument was looking back at, uh, what a lot of people are calling the, the, the summer of love last year, we had riots in this country at a level that has never, ever been experienced before. Okay. We had violence and mayhem and uncontrolled looting and rioting that again, that we've, we've not seen in this country, uh, in a very long time. Certainly the, the destruction was probably, you know, uh, not quite as high as some of the other times in our country. Look at like race riots and the LA riots and things, but, uh, the volume Okay, because this was happening in cities all across the country. We had not really a riot, kind of a riot here in downtown Detroit that I watched on live feed through uh, social media and observed some of that. I know Atlanta uh, had had its own had its issues. The areas around Atlanta, I know the Pacific Northwest and Oregon and, and Minnesota definitely got hit super hard. Um, and as a result, right uh, of basically the, the George Floyd situation um, and the public's, uh, I guess I'll say just like growing um, distrust of law enforcement. And that's a very broad statement. Uh, you know, we're very pro blue here uh, to be clear, but the media campaign, you know, and then the, the democratically uh, pushed concept of defunding uh, law enforcement in this country, it sparked in people this question um it raised raised this question of what happens if the police don't show up and that's that's again that's not a knock on police uh but the reality of what we're seeing in a lot of countries right now is that leadership uh, you know democratically elected leadership is pushing to defund police in a effort to uh to get votes, basically, people that are looking to blame somebody else, people that are naturally inclined to hate law enforcement because they live a lifestyle uh, that is filled with illegal activities, whether that was, you know, 
they hate the police because they've been busted for smoking pot before, or they hate the police because they get uh, too many parking tickets or too many speeding tickets, or they just see all law enforcement as an oppression of our rights, which is, I mean, hilarious considering these people are, they want to argue over what rights we do and don't have uh, when it comes to things like firearms, but they, you know, their rights are being trampled by law enforcement even existing. But I digress. So uh, there's this growing attack, right, on law enforcement, and we're, we're, we're defunding the police. We're slashing budgets. Officers are quitting and leaving certain areas of the country or just flat-out retiring because of the growing risk to them personally. And I say, when I say personally, I mean both physically um, and then legally. Physically because, I mean, people are attacking cops out of nowhere just because they can and they know they're going to get away with it because all they got to do is go on TV and plead their case and then some some rich celebrity will bail them out which happened with the rioting last year uh in several instances uh or they'll be absolved because they can they can throw the race card out or something they can find a way to try and justify this from a social equity lens and police officers are now fearful for their life uh and legally there's a lot of different groups organizations people that are pushing to remove qualified immunity which then basically lifts that legal that shield of legal protection that uh, police officers uh, that protection that police officers have when they're involved with things with incidents uh, with shootings right so uh, when you look at a combination of those factors either you know police officers leaving or moving uh, to other cities other states yeah uh, response times go up and that's basically looking at already how we have pretty slow response times as it is um you know people start to ask these questions well, what do i do you know how do i defend myself and it it seems like it would be a really really easy question to answer right it would be really really easy to just say well i'm gonna go buy a shotgun i'm gonna go buy a pistol i'm gonna go ahead and uh i'm gonna get a rifle and i'm just gonna take care of this and i'm not gonna have to worry about it but with anybody who does any kind of due diligence or any research or puts any effort in, you find that this really isn't as shallow a concept uh, as as just, I need to buy a gun, right? So now these are the people that are coming into things like Instagram, coming into places like you know YouTube and social media platforms, and they're starting to do searches. They're starting to search out and do the research to figure out, okay, what do I need to be a well-prepared citizen? How do I do this safely? How do I do this properly? What do I need? What do I want? Um, and that, again, that can, that could starts with what kind of weapons platform. And then it gets into things like gear, you know, uh, before you're kind of subjected to whatever magazine, um, let's say, you know, pre-internet or late nineties, early two thousands, you were kind of at the mercy of whatever publication you could get your hands on to read about what firearm you should purchase, which as with all publication, largely influenced by ever, by whoever spent the most ad dollars with them. So, I mean, if that particular magazine that you picked up was uh, heavily sponsored and heavily um, involved dealing with Ruger, you are more than likely going to end up buying a Ruger handgun, which could have been a fine decision. I've never owned a Ruger handgun, um, but it could also have been a really crappy decision. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people are, are, are seeking out this information for educational purposes so that they can become uh, better informed gun owners and that's not to say that everybody is going to go to the levels that a lot of us do purchasing things like plate carriers chest rigs uh purchasing things like eotech 
uh, holographic optics and and weapon lights from places like you know companies like Surefire and Streamlight. But they are they are finding that hey, there's a reason why police police have this equipment. Uh, there's a reason why citizens want to own this equipment. Why this defensive equipment is something that people are advocating for. Things like uh, a bump helmet or a ballistic helmet. Things like a plate carrier. Those are fine for people to own because they are uh, they're essentially their life saving apparatus okay it doesn't mean you're trying to pretend to be a gi joe or a special operations uh operator dude whatever you, i mean where the hell you want to call it it means that you did some research and real and realized that that's the best way to protect yourself if you realistically think you may find yourself in that kind of a situation which i mean given what we've seen over the past uh you know 16 months uh, it's not really an unrealistic fear I mean, it really isn't. And depending on which part of the country you're in, you know, that that level of concern varies somewhat greatly, honestly. But to look at the overall 2A community, especially on social media, and criticize, I think, is just wrong. I mean, I've said that a couple different times, obviously. Uh, there's been a lot of development there. There's been a lot of sharing of information and good information. I know there's a lot of bad information. Uh, those ones are usually sussed out pretty quickly. That's the other thing is the community tends to come together and kind of like roast the people that are trying to just make a buck off of um, offering training and classes and, and products and stuff to people that are just willing to shell out money for whatever the new thing looks like. And you do see it. You know, there's some companies out there that make uh, tactical lights for pistols and rifles and they're not, I mean, they're real popular in the handheld market for a couple different reasons, uh, but not so much in the tactical space because they have a lot of issues. And as a community, people will come together. They do a lot of testing on things like that. They do a lot of durability testing, reliability testing, um, you know, and, and performance testing. And as a community, we're able to, you know, figure out for ourselves, hey, this is worth spending money on or, or no, it's not. And why is that important if it's just a flashlight? Because you gotta be able to see what you can shoot, right? Or, you know, uh, you want your light to work. When you're stranded on the side of the road in the middle of the night and you have a certain brand of flashlight, okay, whether it's a Surefire, a Streamlight, a Mag Light, an O Light, whatever it is, you want that flashlight to work. Because that has absolutely nothing to do with guns. Uh, but as a byproduct of the amount of interaction uh, an engagement that we've all seen on social media, this is the kind of thing that's happening. So we need this. It's a positive thing. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't make you any less of a person or any more paranoid because you're on here working on reloads. If anything, like I said, it makes you safer and more competent. And it also helps to, and I, I, I like, I like this phrase, it sound, I don't like it because it does sound kind of goofy, but I do like it because it so adequately and elegantly um, makes the point. Is It is desensitizing the general American populace to guns and, and kit, okay? Uh, because the general American is not well-educated on an AR-15. They all think the AR stands for assault rifle, and that 15 means it can fire 15 rounds a second. Uh, or these are, you know, weapons of war that that fire massive bullets that are meant to to maim and kill. And yeah, a firearm by design in nature is designed to kill. There is no other, there is no other design for a firearm. That that much is true. 
However, when people start realizing like AR stands for Armalite rifle and 15 just means it's the 15th patent, it doesn't mean anything about the fire rate and that the 223 round is like a step above a 22, which everyone assumes is fine and safe because children shoot those when they're going to, you know, hunter safety and stuff. Then it's, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Like, well, do you think it's that bad anymore? And in most cases they say, well, no, but you still don't, I don't get, you know, people are starting to, it starts to break down those walls. It starts to break down those barriers that we as a community have had put up by years and years of um, indoctrination through the liberal media about why gun control is needed and why gun control is important and why gun ownership needs to go away in this country. And look at all the other civilized worlds uh, in the or civilized countries, I'm sorry, in this world and how they've uh, been successful in reducing uh, gun violence by banning guns. It's like, well, yeah, but have they reduced violence? Because the you know, you can hurt somebody with more than just a firearm, you know, like a, a hammer, a sharp stick, <laughs> you know, a steak knife. Uh, there's a lot you can do, a bomb. But people are becoming uh, more aware that this stuff is available to them and the, how easily available it is in terms of things like quality optics, parts, things like that. And it's it's something we need, need to, we need to continue to come together and grow uh, and experience together. And, and make sure that the guy standing next to us is getting better for it. That's what that's what this community does. And the crazy part is guys like, you know, the, the dudes from T-Rex Arms. There, there's so many guys out there. I don't even want to go into making a list. Because there's so many guys who are very proficient uh, with their firearms. They're very proficient with their kit. And they are out there pioneering and, sh- and sharing that idea, those ideas and that information. Things like ham radio, right? Civilian communications. Well, that's, you know, you don't need to run communications. Well, yeah, you do. Uh, It's not like as a civilian you can run encryption. I'm actually studying for my ham license right now. You cannot, as a civilian, encrypt your communications. That's actually against the rules of your license. But being able to talk to somebody on something other than your basic Walmart walkie-talkie bands is super helpful. In fact, um, during the rioting, a lot of people did use those uh, radio bands, and there were a lot of ham radio networks that were brought into service during these emergencies to help spread information because power was out. People didn't have any way of getting information because internet went out, uh, phones were down, things like that. This community is helping at, at by proxy or as a side effect to help drive interest um, and, and development in fields like, like that like radio thing skills like hiking and hunting which are i mean kind of dying in this country due to how many people are glued to their damn phones and computers and tablets and stuff this helps to drive those things okay i want to go out and learn how to do navigation or land navigation i want to go out and i want to learn how to hunt i want to learn how to shoot you know i want to learn how to live off the land or how to take care of myself i want to go you know learn some of these survival and field crafting skills so it's it's driving so many positive things uh, you know, cause if you're out learning how to camp and hike and, you know, sustain yourself and, and hunt and everything, that means you're not out, uh, partying and drinking and, you know, I guess fornicating, not that necessarily against any of those things in moderation. Uh, but it, it's, those are all positive experiences, right? Um, and it doesn't make you a LARPer. It doesn't make you a GI Joe wannabe. It just means that you are totally you are taking full advantage of your rights as, uh, in my opinion, as a human, but here in the United States, especially as a citizen, as a U.S. citizen, 
you're taking full advantage of what's available to you um, so that if that need should ever arise, you have full access to it. Um, and, and the crazy part is, again, there's so many people out there that are learning this stuff and sharing this information that are that are not former law enforcement, former military, but have now become subject matter experts in their field, um, you know, or are sharing this with, or maybe, you know, they are military and law enforcement veterans, um, but they realize that sharing this information is so positively beneficial uh, to the community. Uh, one that comes to mind is Aaron Cowan from a company called Sage Dynamics, who's come to, um, I don't want to say fame, um, but is pretty well known in the gun community because as we're developing uh, optic technology, um, optics mounted on handgun slides are now super, super popular and very, very common. And he is now like the foremost expert on red dot technology and how it integrates into a pistol slide and mounts with it and stuff because he's done torture tests, uh, videos and stuff, uh, on, on dozens and dozens and dozens of, uh, pistol mounted optics and, you know, some rifle optics and stuff too. And he goes into the science behind it and he spent enough time working with, uh, these various products and platforms to really understand them. And as a result now is helping other companies. I think he works with FN right now on developing their, uh, their new line of pistol that is specifically milled out and designed to receive a multitude of different uh, handgun optics. And that's all stuff that was driven from the, the civilian sector. People like, uh, you know, Grand Thumb, who reviews gear and reviews guns and optics and things. Now, and he is, he's current military service. I believe he is uh, attack P in the Air Force, just like, uh, like Sam was. But he is one of these YouTube personalities that people uh, gripe and complain about. And he's out spreading a lot of information. He's worked with multiple companies on developing some gear, some belts, things like that, and spread, a, obviously, a ton of information. Uh, Lucas over at T-Rex Arms. The dude makes a ton of videos on different gear and kit he's bought and tested, and then how his company tries to improve upon those designs. And it's... and to their credit, they won't even sell their, their products and, and their stock to places where, um, or I should say to law enforcement in states where the citizens can't own that. So while they do sell and distribute uh, HESCO body armor, they won't sell that to states where the citizens can't have it. They won't sell it to law enforcement there, which I think is a, is a very principled uh, response to something like that. I think that as a private business, they're 110% within their rights to behave uh, in that kind of manner, uh, as somebody who's pro two a, I really, uh, support it. I think that more companies in this country should, should do that. You know, if we want to make a stand as a community and, and really get behind these ideas and see this grow and see the, the community continue to advance over the next, uh, you know, 10 to 20 years, that's, that's really the next phase of things is it's, it's gotta come, uh, as a united front from businesses and citizens alike. And it, it, I mean, and if you guys hear this, I mean, really think about it. There's no harm in, in practicing with your gear and your kit. If anything, it makes you more of a liability. If you sit that firearm down and don't touch it for five years, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to break in your house, you know, that flood of uh, adrenaline, that chemical dump in your brain, you don't know how you're going to react. Okay. It's just about, it's just like practicing or rehearsing for music or anything else. Uh, you build that muscle memory. You want to train yourself to react accordingly, to react appropriately so that when the need arises, 
you can you can be an asset and not a liability. And that's to law enforcement, that's a to your family, that's to yourself, right? So um, really just to round it out here, I mean, I think it's, ab- like I said, it's absolutely ridiculous. I think that it's, aside from being ridiculous, it's also inaccurate uh, that, that this kind of stuff is uh, detrimental to the to a community or to society as a whole. I think that we should be empowering each other for working on these kinds of things. Uh, I think we should be working together with each other to spread this kind of information, to spread this attitude, and to spread a greater sense of understanding. So when people do come to you and say, well, hey, I don't sit here and, you know, dry cast my fishing rod into my pool. It's like, well, maybe you should. When's the last time you caught a fish? How good of a fisherman are you? You know, maybe you should. Well, we do it because we want to be ready when that time should come. And it's fun. You enjoy it. You know, you spend your money on this stuff. You want to know how it works. You want to, you know, get out there and do it and beat it up a little bit. So I, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Uh, this is something that that's obviously very, uh, this concept is something that's very dear to me, obviously starting this podcast and being interested in the kinds of things that I'm interested in. Uh, you know, this whole situation, uh, as it kind of blew up over the last week or so, um, really kind of got me going and annoyed me a bit. So I wanted to talk about it. I had something else planned for today. Kind of happy I got to do this instead and just talk about how we as a, a community have come together and really advanced the community uh, in, in a lot of different ways. So uh, for all you guys listening, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Get out there and practice. Practice even more, right? Find a way to build in more time, and it, whether it's uh, dry firing, whether it's uh, practicing putting on a tourniquet, uh, practicing deploying your, your first aid kit, I don't know, uh, practicing starting a fire, without matches, you know, whatever it is, just get out there. And like we always say here, you guys, you know, train hard and as always be prepared.